0: We're in lesson 51. We're in chapter 18 of Matthew. Imagine that. We only got 11 chapters left. (laughs) And then we'll be done with the book. So let's get at it. We'll go with chapter 18. And we get this strange question asked by the disciples. It says this. At that time, the disciples came to Yeshua and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So they ask, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And when you read this, at least when I read it, it makes me wonder. Did the disciples remember anything that Yeshua taught? I say that because it seems like each week I bring that up, those very words. As an example, remember, when they didn't remember feeding the 5,000, when Yeshua went to feed the 4,000, they said, where are we going to get enough bread? It just shows us how quickly we forget well, the same is true here. Yeshua has already told them who the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is going to be. You only need to go back to Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. And we learn that Yeshua taught the greatest in the kingdom of heaven would be those who keep and teach the commands of God. And so it would seem that they're asking a question that had already been answered. And Yeshua's answer suggests that they missed the most important part of the answer. Let's read Matthew chapter 5 and verse 19. It says, Anyone who breaks the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, in order to understand this completely, completely what Yeshua is driving at here and trying to teach his disciples, we have to understand the difference between his keeping and teaching the commands and the Pharisees' idea. Because at first glance, when you read this, you might think that the Pharisees weren't keepers of the law. Of course, that's not the case. The Pharisees were meticulous in their keeping of the Torah. Here's what Josephus says of them. And whatsoever they, the Pharisees, do about the divine worship and prayers and sacrifices, they, the priests, perform according to their direction, insomuch that the cities give great attestations to them on account of their entire virtuous conduct, both in actions and their lives and also their discourses. Josephus tells us that they're viewed by the people and loved by the people because of their virtuous conduct. These were Torah keepers. Not only in what they taught, but how they walked it out. In other words, they lived by what they said. Their lives, in other words, were above reproach if compared with the prevailing understanding of Torah. And here's the catch. And we find it, if we read just a little bit farther in the book of Josephus, it says this. In all these practices, the Pharisees obtained the ascendancy over the Sadducees, claiming to be in possession of the tradition of the fathers. They kept Torah through the tradition of the fathers. Now there's another verse that will help us understand the Pharisees. In chapter 23, and verse 5, it says, Everything they do... Is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. They love the places of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplace and have men call them rabbi. And so what we find here is that the Pharisees were meticulous keepers of the law. They weren't keepers of the law as Yeshua teaches. They were keepers of the law as tradition teaches. And what does Yeshua say about that? Not good enough. Yeshua taught that one keeps Torah not by traditions and not for others to see, but one keeps Torah because he loves his neighbor and he loves his God. Yeshua taught that one keeps Torah out of love out of a heart that loves God and His people and not out of tradition. Yeshua also taught that, and Shaul as well, that one keeps Torah through relationship, through being led by the Spirit, through relationship. And so Yeshua teaches not just keep the law, but those who will be great in the kingdom of heaven will be those who keep the commandments from the heart. And that heart will be one that's turned toward God. And so as we've taught before, their method and purpose for keeping the law is what Yeshua calls into question. Well, that's the same thing Yeshua will get at here. Because evidently, the disciples didn't get the point the first time. Right? And so Yeshua's going to use a little show and tell. You know the little kids when they go to school, they do show and tell? Well, he's going to do a little show show and tell here. In verse 2 it says, And he called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. I want you to note the similarity between Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 18. And I put the verses up here side by side for you. Matthew 18 says, Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And Matthew 5 says, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, Yeshua's teaching here cuts right to the heart. Right to the heart of Torah observance. Even more so than chapter 5 did. What does he mean unless you become like a little child? Well, remember, this is also reminiscent of another another of Yeshua's teachings that's recorded for us in John chapter 3. And verse 5 says, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And so Yeshua tells Nicodemus, in essence, the same thing. You got to be born again. I put these two verses up here so that we could look at them side by side. Matthew 18 says, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. And John chapter 3 says, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Now, if you look at this in regard to the Pharisees' Torah observance of Yeshua's day and then compare it to ourselves, what do we come up with? Yeshua is telling his disciples something that many of you realized maybe when you first came into this congregation. When you first came into Sar Shalom, after spending years in the church, I don't know how many people have come to me and said, Oh my goodness, i got to start all over. Everything I learned was wrong. Yeshua is telling his disciples very much the same thing, the same lesson he's saying. Unless you forget what you've learned, your experience in this life, unless you forget what you know about keeping the commands of God and become like one of these blank slates, these little children learning from me how to keep the commands of God, you most certainly will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The quality that Yeshua sees in the child that he's asking his disciples to emulate is that the child is unlearned. Unlearned. He must be taught. Think about what you learn in this life. In this life, we can see it in the lives of the Pharisees as well. What we learn, we can see the same thing because what we're taught in this life is self-aggrandizement. We're taught to seek independence, to become all that we can become in this life. Yeshua is saying, unless you become like a child, unless you're born again, ready to learn, unless you become like this child, dependent upon your father, not only will you not be great, In the kingdom. You won't even make it to the kingdom. The kingdom of God. Is reliant upon Abba. The kingdom. Members do nothing outside of his will. They're like children. Looking to their father. For learning and for approval. First as many of you know. It's a humbling experience. To realize. That you've been wrong. And that you have to start over, start the learning process over again. Isn't it? How many of remember that when you came in here? You know, many can't make that leap. Listen to this. Listen to what I found. This is rabbinic, and it sounds very much like the words of Yeshua. It's uh, quoting uh, Samuel Tobias Locke's commentary on the New Testament. He's a Jewish fellow. And and this is from uh, the Talmud. He says, He who makes himself small in this world for the sake of Torah will be great in the world to come. Sounds a lot like Yeshua's words, doesn't it? He who's first will be last and last will be first. He who makes himself a slave in this world for the sake of Torah shall be free in the world to come. You see, the question for the disciples and the question for us all is can we make this leap of faith You see, it's not just a leap from the moral filth of this world that we must make, and yes, we must do that, but listen, the Pharisees had made that leap, and Yeshua says, not good enough. It's a leap from self-reliance to reliance upon God. It's a leap from self-aggrandizement to the praise of the Holy One on your lips. It's like the leap... Of making and keeping relationship with God. It's like realizing like a little child is aware of. You can't get through this life without your Abba. Your father. You want to be great in the kingdom? Well, Matthew 18 says this. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child will be great in the kingdom of heaven. And I put Matthew 5 up here so you could compare. Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Which is it? The one who practices and teaches the commands or the one who will humble himself as a child? Well, it's obvious, at least obvious to me, that they're the same. In order to keep the commands of God with the heart of God, you have to be reborn. You have to give up your fallenness and become like a child, riding on your daddy's coattails. Daddy, what is this? Daddy, what is that? Daddy, how do I do this? Daddy, how do I do that? Daddy, is this right or is that right? Can I do this or can I not do that? You see, it goes back to what we taught last week. Relationship 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 you were born into this world separate from God you were taught all you know apart from God you must be reborn into relationship with God that is if you want to be part of the kingdom of heaven and it's different for all of us it's different for all of us as far as age and circumstances go Sometimes it happens to someone quite young, sometimes like me, it takes a long time. But it's coming to a complete stop on the road of life and saying, I've been wrong, I've been foolish, I need to turn, I need to start over again. And Shaul knew it, and that's why he says this in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, Therefore, if anyone is Messiah, he is a new creation, the old has gone, the new has come. That's what makes these two verses different, but yet the same. One tells you how to get into the kingdom of heaven. Practice and teach the commands, and you'll be called great in the kingdom of heaven. The other one tells you how to do that. Humble yourself like a child, and you'll be called the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In order to keep and teach the commands, as Yeshua taught and kept the commands, you have to humble yourself as a child. Next, he'll tell us how to be removed from the kingdom or be least in the kingdom. Verse 5 says, And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. So we have kind of two things going here. First we have, Anyone who welcomes a child like this in my name welcomes me. Think about it. If someone comes to us born again, ready to learn, humbled by the world, realizing the mistakes that they've made, humbled, seeking change, and we welcome him, and we feed him and nurture him and teach him to pray, teach him to hear from God, teach him to walk in the footsteps of the Messiah. Yeshua is telling, "It's as if you welcome me. Or if they've been in the church for 20 years. And they come to us and say, hey, I've been reading the Bible and I see the Sabbath and the festivals, but I don't see Sunday or Christmas. And they're humbled and they're wanting to follow God and we welcome them. It's as if we welcome Yeshua. If we teach them that the Sabbath day is the day God set aside to meet with him and corporately gather together to worship the king. And we invite him to do that with us. It's as if we welcome Yeshua. But then he says, but if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and be, be drowned in the depths of the sea. And that's not really good. The NIV isn't really good here. The word that's used for sin there is one that we've looked at frequently. I put it up here. It's scandalizo. It means to stumble. To stumble. I like stumble better than sin or to offend. It means to sin, but it's also something that causes one to stumble. So understand if you teach someone to walk in the footsteps of the Messiah, they will never stumble because he never stumbled. And the moment that you teach them to walk outside of his footsteps, you will cause them to stumble. Yeshua says, as narrow is as the path. Well, yeah, it's narrow. It's one footstep at a time. It's the exact footprints of the Messiah. That's narrow. I like to think of it as Yeshua leading us through a minefield. You want to step exactly in his footprint. Because in the footprint there's safety, and outside of the footprint may be death. You see, you can translate it sin, but sin is kind of a broad category. And for most of us, when we hear the word sin, we think of moral or mortal sin. But if you just teach them to break any of the commands, if you teach them to break the Sabbath, if you teach them that the Torah is no longer valid, if you teach them not to gather together on the Sabbath day as God commands, he calls it a holy convocation, a sacred gathering, in other words. If you teach them error, you're going to have a problem because those things are outside of the footprint of Messiah. See, while the wording is not word for word, make no mistake, Yeshua is saying much the same thing he said in Matthew chapter 5. Whosoever therefore shall break the least of these commandments and teach others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So here's what Yeshua is saying. And it should strike fear into the hearts of teachers everywhere. I know it makes me think and rethink everything I teach. If one of those humbled ones, one of those humbled people come among you and you by your teaching and your hospitality lead them astray outside of the footsteps of Messiah, if you lead them into error, you're going to have a problem. With that in mind, you know, I'm afraid there are a whole lot of teachers that are going to have a problem. There are a whole lot of websites out there that are put on the internet by teachers that are going to be hurting for certain. They teach people things that really separate them from their communities. And what they teach is error. About 10 years ago, I first started to notice one of these things. I'm only going to bring up one of them. Because it's such a simple example. And it's one of the sacred name teachers. They teach that if you don't use the sacred name exactly as they pronounce it, you're not saved. And then they combine that with the Sabbath and the festivals and enough Hebrew roots to make it sound really good to those who are seeking. To one of those humbled ones looking for the truth. But as good as it sounds, it takes them down a path that's not in Yeshua's footsteps. And I first noticed this because, you know, one day I saw a few people disappear from the fellowship. I'm like, where did they go? And I called them. And they said, well, we can't come anymore because you don't use the sacred name. They separated from fellowship the very thing the writer of Hebrews warns against. He says in chapter 10, verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And let us not give up the meeting together as the summon, some are in the habit of doing. But let's encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. They disappeared. You know where they are now? Some of them are at home, unable to worship anywhere because of this one teaching. And what has it profited them? They're without support. They give no one else support. They do nothing to further the kingdom of God. They do nothing to help anyone find the right path to God. They just sit at home in this ridiculous error. I'm telling you folks, there's someone going to have a price to pay one day for this. Anytime someone teaches something that will take you out of fellowship and put you into some kind of exclusivity, you should run kicking and screaming down the road. Because what kind of humility, what kind of childlike behavior is there in exclusivity? Children want and seek out companionship. Exclusivity is born out of pride. And Yeshua has told us, we must become humble as children. God's kingdom is inclusive for those who are seeking, not exclusive. God wants us to gather together, not scatter. That's what makes home groups and small groups so damaging. They never really get large enough to affect the world, to do anything. We're to make disciples, not crawl into a hole or a living room somewhere. We're to make many disciples. I learned that years ago. You know, I thought the same thing. I go through a, a lot of these things myself. I used to thought to myself one time, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I was fed up. I said, I'm just going to go up north and I'm going to find myself a place where I can sit with my books and I'm going to learn of you, Lord. I'm going to go up north. I got a house up there. And God said, not so fast, Dan. You see, if you learn of the Lord, the very first thing that you're going to learn is that he has a burden for those who are not on the path. He wants you to help get as many people as you can on the path again. Go make disciples. Not crawl into a cabin up north, not into a living room somewhere, but go make many disciples. That's the mission he's given us all. If your study doesn't translate to your feet, if your learning isn't to do, if you're not learning to make disciples, then you might as well go to a Greek college someplace and fill your head with a lot of knowledge because that's all you're doing. To believe Yeshua, to be a disciple of Yeshua is to become like Yeshua, and anything else is to stumble. Well, Yeshua came into this world, as I said last week. What did I say? Why did he come? To make disciples. He came to make disciples. We learned that last week. And if we are his disciples, if we are the disciples of Yeshua, then we're going to have a desire to go out and make disciples. He didn't gather his 12 and then go sit in Peter's house and teach. He took them out and taught them how to make disciples. Yeshua's whole mission. The whole mission he gave his disciples was to go make disciples. If we in the Messianic movement, I thought about this a few weeks ago. And I I didn't know if I'd ever get it into a sermon or not, but I guess I did today. But if we in the Messianic movement could set aside our small differences, think of what a force we would be for the kingdom, Think about it. If we took the seed, the corner fringe, Issachar, Beth Emmanuel, and all the little home groups that are fringe groups around, and set aside our petty differences and focused on what's really important, Yeshua, and keeping Torah in his footsteps, we'd be in a huge synagogue. Our radio show and TV shows wouldn't be on at 5.30 in the morning. They'd be on prime time. Because we wouldn't be wasting all of our money paying rent. Amen? We would be really affecting the city. But no. A bit more or less liturgy is far more important than that. Or my idea of this song or that song is far more important than that. My very own ministry is far more important than that. Well, I don't like the bema or the electric music. Just like being in the comfort of my own house, and that's far more important than that. You see, all the petty stuff gets in the way of our being a real force, a real army for God. I don't want to get out on a tangent here. But that's the kind of things I think about sometimes. You know, I get tired I I find I call those people fault finders. They're not happy wherever they go, and sooner or later they find fault wherever they go. Not too long ago, I had somebody who'd been coming for years come into my office and say, Stan, I'm leaving the congregation because I don't agree with you on this thing or that thing. And I gotta tell you, they were really small things. And I said this blessing just under my own breath. Blessed are you, Lord. For not making me like him. I said it because if I used the same measure he was using, he would have never got in the door. Because when he came, I didn't agree with anything he had to say. He knew nothing. If I used the same measure, I'd still be up north reading books. There would be no sarshalom. Get this one thing into your belief system today. It's a truth that will serve you well in this life and for sure get you to the next in good shape. The kingdom of heaven is for the humble. It's for children. It's for those who don't move a step without asking God, is this the right step? Proverbs says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed in their duplicity. The moment you start feeling better than your brother, you should start to repent. You should catch yourself and start to repent. Listen to what Shaul says in Romans chapter 14. He says, you then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. So understand, there are many ways to make people miss the mark because the mark is only found in the footsteps of Messiah. Matthew chapter 18 verse 7 says, Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. You know, whenever I see that word sin, I like to change it to stumble because when I think of sin, I'd always think of things like adultery or, you know, moral decay. But again, it's the word "scandalana," It just means stumble. So listen, take one of the searchers and lead them down the wrong path and you cause them to miss the mark. Cause them to step outside of the footsteps of Messiah or take one of these searchers and teach them not to be like Yeshua and you are going to pay a price for it. That's what Yeshua is saying. Verse 6 says, of chapter 18. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. That's what awaits them. On that day, we're all going to stand before God. And if we've led one of these humble ones down the wrong path, it would be better for us to have a millstone hung around our neck. Even if you don't know what a millstone is, you probably seen one of those huge round stones that have a hole in the middle that were used to crush wheat and so forth, usually pulled by a donkey or a group of men. Put one of those around your neck and you sink rather quickly with no remedy. If you teach someone to be anything other than the image of Messiah, to walk other than in the footsteps of Messiah, or be led by the Spirit, anything other than to love your neighbor, or anything less than to make disciples, then woe to you or me. And this segues us into the next scene of Yeshua. We've said before, If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands and two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Where have you seen that before? Right back to Matthew chapter 5, right? If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And again, Yeshua is not advising us to cut off our hands and our feet or gouge out our eyes, but he's saying, deal with these things severely that cause you to stumble. Cut them from your life cut everything that causes you not to become like one of these little ones everything that causes you not to be to ride on the foot on the coattails of daddy everything that takes you away from the footsteps of Messiah cut it out of your life so listen the context is slightly different but the teaching is the same the great in the kingdom keep the commands and you do that by being reborn And then as newborn children, you follow in the footsteps of Messiah. You cling to every word, seek him in every prayer, and develop relationship because except through him, no one will enter the kingdom of heaven. Amen?